If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Healing is the Children's Bread. There are biblical principles to prayer that we'll discuss in this episode that will really help us to accurately appropriate God's healing provision for our lives. Good intentions, presumption, and adherence to religious traditions that are not rooted in the Word will not produce results. We can be sloppy as baby Christians, but our Father God expects us to grow and mature and learn how to rightly handle the Word of Truth. All kinds of prayers. Ephesians 6.18 And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the saints. The Bible teaches that there are several kinds of prayer. However, I will not go into detail on all of them in this series. Right now, let's concentrate on prayer for healing. During the life and ministry of Jesus, He was living under the Old Covenant. The New Covenant did not come into force until after the Resurrection. Jesus was alluding to a new kind of prayer in John 16.23. As children of God under the New Covenant, we have been given direct access to the Father through Jesus' name. John 16.23 Jesus said, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give me whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. That is what Jesus meant when he said, in that day, speaking of the day we live in today, the age of grace, where the new covenant is enforced through Jesus Christ as our mediator and great high priest. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. During the interim period, when the Old Covenant was going out and the New Covenant was coming in, 
Jesus taught the disciples to pray what we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6-9. However, just before he returned to heaven, Jesus changed his disciples' way of praying. He did not teach New Covenant believers to pray the Lord's Prayer. He had taught his disciples to pray that way at the time. I'm not saying that the Lord's Prayer isn't beautiful. I did not say we cannot learn something from it, because we can learn much from it. But where is the name of Jesus in that prayer? The disciples didn't pray one thing in the name of Jesus, did they? They didn't ask the Father for one thing in the name of Jesus in that prayer. So this is not the New Testament church at prayer. This is not the New Testament norm for prayer. There's something we need to see here in John chapter 16. Just before Jesus went away, he changed the disciples' way of praying. Under the new covenant between God and the church, we are to come to God the Father through Jesus Christ. One reason we have missed a great deal is that we have tried to pray as they did back in the days under the old covenant. Notice Jesus said in John 16:24, Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Of course, this includes all kinds of prayer and it includes claiming healing for ourselves and others as well. How could our joy be full if we or our loved ones were at home sick? That would be impossible, wouldn't it? Every believer has a right to claim their healing in Jesus' name or for any other blessing mentioned in God's word according to his precious promises. And if a believer asks in the name of Jesus, he or she has an absolute guarantee that God will grant the answer to his or her petition. If we were getting more answers to prayer, we would have more joy. And if more of our joy were showing, we would get more people saved and healed. Healing is involved in these verses. We have a right to claim our healing in the name of Jesus. God the Father does hear and answer the prayer of faith based on the Word of God. Now let's look at prayers based on the Word which gets results. Prayer is successful only when it is based on the promises of God's Word. Faith begins where the will of God is known and God's word is God's will. Our prayers are powerful when we pray God's word. 1 John 5.14 This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, which is his word, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. Let's now go over what I call the epistle prayers from God's word. I have personally been praying them over my life and others for many years. Notice that I have personalized them by changing the tense to first person. Praying these prayers will increase the flow of God's grace and revelation in our life. You can also put other people's names in these prayers and pray them over them as well. Let's start with the first one, Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would fill me with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that I may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen me with all might according to your glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. I give thanks unto you, Father, for you have made me able to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. For you have delivered me from the power, authority, and dominion of darkness. You have translated me into the kingdom of your dear Son, in whom I have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then the next one is Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. Dear Holy Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, that your love, which has been shed abroad in my spirit by the Holy Spirit, would abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that I may approve things that are excellent, that I may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, 
being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. The third one is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you and your word, that the eyes of my understanding would be enlightened, that I may know what is the hope of your calling, and what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of your power to me who believes, according to the working of your mighty power, which you wrought in Christ when you raised him from the dead, and set him at your own hand in the heavenly places. You set him far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only this world, but also that which is to come. And finally, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Father, in Jesus' name I ask you according to the riches of your glory, that you would strengthen me with might by your Spirit in my inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart by faith, that I be rooted and grounded in love, will be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that I would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto you, Father, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or think, according to the power that works in me, unto you be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Asking versus Claiming When I tell people they don't have to pray to be healed, they look at me in amazement. Many have failed to receive healing because they have based their faith on prayer instead of on God's word. They expected prayer to do for them what only God's word can do for them. This is where a lot of potential confusion can take place. Sometimes we find ourselves asking for things that we already have in Jesus Christ. We should be appropriating our inheritance through faith in God's word for things that God has already given us through our redemption that Jesus had obtained for us. For example, when the Bible specifically tells us to ask for something, like wisdom, then we are to ask for it. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Here's another example of when to ask. In Luke 10, verse 2, And Jesus told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And also in Ephesians 1, 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Yet when it comes to redemptive items like healing, It has already been provided for us. It just needs to be appropriated through faith. I like to use the car keys analogy here. If I give you my car keys because you need to borrow my car and the next minute turn around and ask me again for my car keys, I will say I already gave you the keys to my car. They are in your hand right now. If you persist in asking me for something I have already given you, well, eventually I will get a little frustrated with you. So when we ask God to heal us, When he already did so 2,000 years ago, by his stripes we were healed, according to 1 Peter 2.24, 
We are praying when we should be proclaiming what is already an established fact. Redemptive provisions need only to be appropriated by speaking the word from our heart. So let's refer to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 again. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body in the tree, so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his bruise, you have been healed. When it comes to the new birth, the sinner needs only to confess Jesus as their Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. There is no prayer of petition to ask for salvation in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Salvation has already been provided as a free gift for all humanity to receive just by claiming it in the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When it comes to redemptive issues, confession brings possession. God has done all he's going to do about our sin, healing, peace, and eternal life, and really everything else that is wrapped up in redemption. Jesus said it is finished for a reason when he was on the cross. We don't have to work for it, earn it, or pray for it. It's just a matter of receiving the gift of eternal life. And so it is with healing, just like everything that's part of the redemptive package. As a matter of fact, The only sin that sends the unbeliever to hell is the sin of rejecting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Notice John 16.9 talks about the sin, singular, of not believing on Jesus. Jesus has already dealt with every sin that was ever committed or will be committed in the future for every human being that has or will ever live on this earth. This amazing act of God's grace was accomplished on Calvary 2,000 years ago according to Hebrews 9.26. But now Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So now, all that is left for unbelievers to do is to just receive eternal life by confessing Jesus as their Lord and Savior and believe it in their heart. Very simple. Likewise, as for receiving healing, all that is left for Christians to do is to confess that by his bruise, we were healed, and believe it in their heart. John sixteen eight, When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. John three thirty six, Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. John one eleven. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Really, it all comes down to faith in believing God's word in our spirit. God's word conceived in the spirit of a person produces the life and the power of God for our lives. The curse of the law is summed up in these three, poverty, sickness, and death. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. So whatever we have been redeemed from, 
We don't have to ask God for it. Just claim it through faith in God's word in Jesus' name. The price has already been paid. The gift has been given. And all that is left for us to do now is just enjoy it. Luke 17.21 Because the kingdom of God is within you. Let's now look at making a demand in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about making a demand of God. I'm talking about making a demand of the devil and of the circumstances of life and the mountains of this life to be cast into the sea in Jesus' name. The name of Jesus belongs to us as Christians, and we have a right to use that name. But we need to know the power and the authority that's in Jesus' name, and we must learn to exercise that authority. John 14:12. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Many times, when we just sort of skim over the Word of God, we miss the impact of what the Word is saying. For example, many people believe that John chapter 14, verse 12-14 through 14, is a reference to the prayer of petition of asking in Jesus' name. However, a closer examination of this passage will reveal that it's really referring to the believer's right to exercise authority in the name of Jesus, which we call the prayer of authority. According to Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, the meaning of the Greek word ask in John chapter 14 verse 13 through 14 implies a demand of something due. Jesus told the disciples in John 14 14, You may ask or demand me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus is not talking about the prayer petition here. He was talking about using his name as a basis for authority, or the prayer of authority in Jesus' name. Like when we drive out demons in the name of Jesus. We don't ask the Father to drive demons out. We just command the demons to go in Jesus' name. That's called the prayer of authority. In the early church, healing was used as a means of advertising the gospel as well as a means of blessing and helping people. The apostle Peter knew that there was power in the name of Jesus. Peter used the authority in that name to command sickness and disease to go in Jesus' name. In one case, he raised a woman named Dorcas up from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as a result, many people were saved. Acts chapter 9 verse 42 This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Signs and wonders add credibility to the gospel message that it's from God. Acts 9.32 As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In the account of the crippled man who was healed at the gate called Beautiful in Jerusalem, we see a perfect example of demanding in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 3 verse 1 through 16. Peter didn't demand anything of God when he commanded in Acts chapter 3 verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That's what we call demanding in the name of Jesus. When he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. God never made that man crippled to begin with. Satan did. 
either directly or indirectly because of the fall. Paul used the name of Jesus to set the crippled man free from the bondage of Satan. Peter demanded that the man arise and walk in Jesus' name, because Jesus said, whatever you demand in my name, I will do it. Of course, it has to be in line with the word of God. And going about and fulfilling Acts chapter 10 verse 38 and healing all who oppress the devil is definitely the will of God. For example, if a physical pain comes, we can say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command this pain to leave my body now. The pain must go. We are the master of our own body. We are to rule it. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we honor God with our body by maintaining healing in our body. We have a right to freedom from pain and sickness. In the name of Jesus, command it to leave. We are not demanding it of the Father, because the Father has already given us authority through the power of attorney over these demonical forces. Another example is we can use the name of Jesus to break the power of the devil over the unsaved and make it easier for them to accept Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.4. In that name, according to Mark 16.18, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Every believer should understand this clearly, that he or she has a right to enact deliverance from the hand of the enemy in that name. When the man was healed, the crowd thought that Peter and John had healed him. If folks aren't careful, they will look to people to heal them. Later in Acts 3.16, Peter told the people exactly how the crippled man had been made whole. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Mark 16, verse 17. Jesus said, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. As we can see in the scriptures, it is all in the name of Jesus that releases the power of God. Another example of demanding of the devil in Jesus' name is when we cast out demons of those who are possessed or oppressed by them. Luke 10, 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Unfortunately, some Christians think of the name of Jesus in the same way they think of a good luck charm. They have about as much faith in the name of Jesus as they have in a rabbit's foot. They'll say, well, maybe it will work, or I hope something good comes out of it. As long as they just try the name of Jesus, as though it was some sort of good luck charm, nothing will happen for them. Unless, of course, God in his mercy intervenes on their behalf and does something for them in spite of their doubt and unbelief. We have to get a revelation of the name of Jesus down in our spirit, because that's where it works. Faith always works from our spirit, not our head or our body. So faith in our heart is only accomplished by meditating on the scriptures concerning the use of the name of Jesus continually. Let's not just try it. Rather, let's do what the word says. Speak the name of Jesus through faith. The name of Jesus belongs to us as Christians. 
and we have a right to use that name. When sickness or disease tries to attack us, we can command it to leave our body. That's what John chapter 14 verse 12 is talking about. So when symptoms come, demand it to leave in Jesus' name. If sickness and disease comes to us, instead of accepting it and talking about our troubles, say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to leave my body now. And the sickness or disease must go. But some will say, I tried that and it didn't work. Using the name of Jesus doesn't work by trying it. It works by doing it. Our spirit being, who we really are in the inside, is the ruler of the physical body. In other words, we are the ruler or the caretaker of our own body. We are the ones who must exercise dominion over it, not someone else. We honor God by keeping our body pure from sexual morality or drugs, smoking, alcohol, all that kind of stuff. We also honor God by keeping it from being oppressed by sickness and disease. I've said it before, sickness and disease is like spiritual graffiti from the devil to desecrate the temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells. It is our responsibility by the grace of God to keep that from happening, by grace and through faith in God's word. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus has given us his name, the name that is above every name, according to Philippians 2 verse 9 to forbid Satan from trespassing against our body with sickness and disease. The Apostle Paul reaffirms this truth when he talked about bringing the body under subjection by our spirit, by the renewing of our mind with the word. To bring something into subjection means to rule over something or take authority over something. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. If someone asks, how is Smith Wigglesworth feeling today? I tell him I never ask Smith Wigglesworth how he feels. I tell him how he feels. 1 Corinthians 9.27 No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Romans 6.19 I put this in human terms, because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. That's right in line with what Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave. So instead of us serving our body's appetites or allowing ungodly things like sickness to enslave us, we bring our bodies under subjection to God's word. Sadly, many Christians live their lives being ruled by their bodies and unrenewed minds. They are just like the world, carnal or earthly as baby Christians still struggle with sinful bad habits and the sinful nature in the body, they also stay dominated by what dominates the world, death, in the form of sickness and disease. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. Yet every Christian has the ability to bring his or her body into subjection, as Paul did. Just because Paul was an apostle doesn't mean he was any more saved than us. He didn't have any more authority over his body than we do over ours. But Paul exercised his authority, 
He brought his body into subjection. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, is admonishing all believers to do the same. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are the ruler of our own body. If we weren't the ruler of our own body, then we wouldn't be told to bring it into subjection. We wouldn't be able to present it to God as a living sacrifice according to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Nor would we be able to take authority over any sickness or disease that might try to harm us. But we are the ruler of our own physical body. And thank God we have a right to freedom from pain, sickness, and disease in the name of Jesus. But we must exercise the authority which belongs to us in that name. Certainly God will help us through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he will not do it for us. When we take authority over sickness or disease in our body and command it to leave in Jesus' name, we are demanding something do us, freedom from whatever it is that has attacked our physical body, according to John 14.14. 14. You may ask me or demand for anything in my name and I will do it. We're not demanding anything of God, let me be clear. We're demanding something of demonic forces because sickness and disease comes from the devil, either directly or indirectly. Not from God. We're not demanding from him. Jesus told his disciples to pray in Matthew 6.10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There isn't any sickness in heaven, and God doesn't want us to be sick here on earth either. When we take authority over sickness or disease in our body, we're just taking our place as a child of God with certain rights. We're just exercising our authority and demanding our rights in Jesus' name. Ephesians 4.23 To be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our minds are the key to receiving healing from God. It is only the renewed mind that can grasp these truths. Our spirit has been recreated already through faith in Jesus Christ, but not our mind. Our natural minds receive all its knowledge through the five senses, so it must be renewed. This renewing of the mind comes through meditating and acting on the Word. The renewed mind is enlightened by the Word to understand that all there is to be done for our healing is to praise the Father for it. It says, My diseases were laid on Christ, and He put them away. I am healed, and I thank the Father that is already done. The pain may be there, the soreness may be very real. This is only the testimony of the senses. We refuse to listen to the witness of our senses. We accept the word of God and act upon it as surely as God sits on the throne. He will make his word good in us, our new reality to enjoy. We do not ask for power. We already have received the power of God, the power source of the Holy Spirit within us. We do not ask for redemption. For Jesus is our redemption. We do not ask for sanctification, for he already is and made unto us sanctification. We do not ask for righteousness, because he has already been made unto us righteousness. These are redemptive realities that already exist in our spirit-filled life in Jesus Christ. This faith life as children of God is the most beautiful thing in the world. 
We have stepped out of the old sense realm, where we once lived, as the world does today, into the new realm of the Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 It is because of God the Father that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Many times, however, Christians will just slip back into the natural, or back into religious thinking, which tells them that they don't have to address the circumstances of life that come against them or say anything that happens to them. So rather than dominating their circumstances, these Christians are being dominated by their circumstances. They have been religiously brainwashed instead of New Testament taught. We need to know the authority God has given us. Believe in that authority in Jesus' name. Exercise it. If in reality we don't know the authority God has given us as we should, we need to meditate upon the scriptures which tell us who we are in Christ and the authority which has been given to us in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus won't work just because we saw or heard someone else use it. That's where folks miss it sometimes. They say, well, my pastor said such and such, but they don't study the word of God for themselves. We must be convinced of the word of God for ourselves and act on the word because we believe it's true from our heart, from our spirit. The name of Jesus will not work for us as it should until we apply ourselves to the study of its meaning and its worth. When we understand the authority we have in the name of Jesus, we can use that name to break the power of the devil over unsaved people, particularly our unsaved loved ones. We command sickness or pain or whatever tries to come against us to leave in Jesus' name. Our problem has been in asking the Lord to save so-and-so. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus has already provided salvation for them. It's now up to them to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. However, there is something or rather someone that is hindering that from happening. That's right, it's the devil. 2 Corinthians 4.3 And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, small g, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The Bible tells us that it's the devil that blinds people from the truth of God's word, that Jesus is Savior and Lord. No sane person would purposely want to go to hell for all eternity. They must be deceived. If people knew the truth about heaven and hell, and if they understood that Jesus died to save them and give them eternal life, they would not go down the path of destruction. That is what the devil does. He deceives people, like what he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. John 8.44 When he, Satan, lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Revelation 23 He threw him, Satan, into the abyss, and locked and sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving the nations any more. Many times, if we expose a person to the Word, the Word will give him or her light, spiritual understanding. And spiritually, he or she will be able to see the truth. But sometimes the power which is controlling an unsaved person needs to be broken first, or rendered ineffective before he or she can see the truth and act on it and be saved. Psalms 119 verse 130 in the Amplified, The entrance and unfolding of your words give light. Their unfolding gives understanding, discernment, and comprehension to the simple. God highly exalted Jesus, the person, and gave him a name which is above every name. And the name and the person are one. For example, if my name were John Smith, 
people wouldn't think of me as Harvey Alligator. No, if they know my name, then when they think of me, they think of my name. Or if they know my name, when they think of my name, they think of me. The name and the person are one. Thank God the Lord Jesus Christ and his name are one. Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So every being in heaven, earth, and under the earth are subject to the authority and dominion of Jesus Christ. That includes Satan and all his hosts. They must surrender to that name, because the name of Jesus is superior to every name that can be named. Here's an example of using the name of Jesus to break the power and influence of the devil over a person's life in preventing them from receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I now take the name of Jesus and break the power of the devil over so-and-so, substitute their name, and I claim his or her deliverance and salvation in the name of Jesus. When we get the revelation of the power and authority we have in the name of Jesus, no one can steal that revelation from us. We must use the name of Jesus in faith, otherwise we'll be ineffective and we won't get results. Unbelief cries and begs and pleads, but faith speaks and then shouts the victory. Through faith in the name of Jesus, we can exercise authority over the power of the enemy in our life and experience deliverance, healing, and victory. Jesus said in John 14, 14, You may ask or demand me for anything in my name and I will do it. We won't get the revelation of that scripture just by reading it once or twice. We won't get it by hearing someone else's testimony of how it worked for them. We'll get the revelation of the power of the name of Jesus by careful study, meditation, and application of the truth of God's word. Someone might ask, well, I don't know about that. I tried using the name of Jesus once, and it didn't work. Once the reality of the authority that's in the name of Jesus has dawned on us, once the authority that's in the name of Jesus has become a reality in our spirit, our days of trying will be over, and our days of doing will begin. Every believer should clearly understand the power and the authority in the name of Jesus and the believer's right to use that name. Let's meditate upon the scriptures that tell us who we are in Christ and what authority we have as a believer. As we do, those scriptures will become a reality to us, and we will begin to exercise our right to appropriate deliverance from the bondage of Satan for ourselves and for our loved ones and for people in the whole world in the name of Jesus. Let's now look at the prayer of agreement. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus said, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Frequently, we take verse 20 out of its setting and apply it only to church services. But that really isn't what it's talking about. Actually, verses 19 and 20 are together. According to verse 20, whenever two people are agreeing in prayer, Jesus is there to see that what they are agreed upon comes to pass. Jesus is not talking about a church meeting here, although he is present in church meetings, where two people are united and are demanding healing for themselves or their loved ones in Jesus' name, their prayers are bound to be answered, because God watches over his word to make it good, Jeremiah 1 verse 12. 
Matthew 18 verse 19 says two of you on earth, not two of you in heaven, just two. And the phrase anything they shall ask could include healing, couldn't it? Sometimes we get into the natural and think, now if I could get enough people, maybe a thousand are agreeing with me, or even 10,000 praying, that would really get results. That is human reasoning. God said that just two could get the job done. According to Jesus, two is the most that he ever mentions we will need. He didn't say to get the whole church degree on it. We couldn't get a whole church degree on something to save our life anyway. But if two of us agree, that's all it takes. There is power in the prayer of agreement. Jesus said, If two of you on earth agree about anything, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Jesus did say, It might be, or it's a possibility. I've had folks come to me in an altar line to agree with them concerning some financial, physical, or spiritual need. I like to join hands with them while praying since it denotes a physical expression of our agreement with our spirits. We agree that this need is met. Not that it's going to be, which is future tense. That's hope. Because that is not faith, because faith is now. We speak in the present tense, not future tense. So we agree that the need is met. So we are praising God because we have agreed that it's a done deal. By faith, it is done right now. And we count it as done in Jesus' name. Now suppose I was to ask them after we prayed, so is it a done deal? If they were to say something like, well, if it's God's will, it sure is, or I sure hope so, then that is not believing, but rather hoping. As a result, there is no agreement, and it won't work as a consequence. There is no use in going around blaming God and casting bad reflections on the Bible if it didn't work. Dear friends, if it didn't work, we didn't work it, because Jesus Christ cannot lie. We must admit that we missed it somewhere, and then correct ourselves. If a person is not in faith, when they come to us for the prayer of agreement, it would be better for them to just wait, get the word in them until they are settled in their spirit concerning the will of God on the matter, then come for prayer and get the results that only faith can bring. With all the different kinds of prayer, we also need to add praise and thanksgiving to our prayers, because it's in an atmosphere of praise that God can move more readily in our midst. Praise has been called the note of victory. In other words, if we are wringing our hands and are downcast and depressed, there is no faith present, is there? The fact that Jesus is our healer is embodied in the gospel message, or the good news. Well, if we believe the report, we will be full of joy and peace, praising God for the victory. Isaiah 61 verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Romans 15.13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A great example of this is found in the account of Paul and Silas, who are thrown in jail for delivering a servant girl from demon possession in Acts chapter 16. These two, from a natural point of view, 
had every reason to whine and complain about their situation, having been severely flogged and put in the stocks in the darkest cell in the dungeon. However, they made a choice to pray and to praise the Lord. Acts 16.25 About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. Praise and rejoicing is the note of victory. As a result, God's power descended into that jail and shook it from its foundation, so that everyone's chains came loose, and the jail doors flew open. But what do you think would have happened if they had expressed their feelings of fear and whined and complained about their situation, attempting to be, you know, authentic and real? I believe they would have been stuck in that jail for a very long time. Was it God's will for them to be delivered? Absolutely. But remember, their faith was required for their deliverance. Joy and peace is a form of corresponding action to our faith. So let the praise and thanksgiving flow and see the power of God in manifestation. Proverbs 17.22 A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. According to these scriptures, it is never okay to whine and complain. It's actually sin to give into it. Let's let the peace of God rule our hearts as we enter into his rest and rejoice in the Lord for the victory he has already won for us on our behalf. Colossians 3.15 In Philippians 2.14, it states, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Prayer Tips The Word of God and the spiritual laws within God's Word define the parameters from which the principles of prayer operate. No one has access to the Father except through Jesus. So until a person is born again, there is no prayer life until he or she is born again. Once a person receives the new birth, they need to be taught and become acquainted with the kingdom of God and the spiritual laws that govern it. Rule number one, free will. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live. Our prayers cannot override another person's free will. We can't force the blessings of God on someone if they don't want it, nor can we make someone like us. Any attempt to manipulate or force someone through prayer is actually in reality a form of witchcraft. Rule number two, the love rule. Galatians 5.6 The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 1 Peter 3.7 Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If we are not walking in love toward others, 
we can expect our prayers to be hindered. Rule number three, the obedience rule. James 4.17 Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. 1 John 3.21 Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Unrepentant sin will result in condemnation in our life. Our own heart will testify against us that we are out of fellowship with God. Use 1 John 1.9 to purify your heart from all acts of sin. Rule number four, the repetitious prayer rule. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. The prayer of faith is prayed once, and then we thank the Father for answering our prayer thereafter. Rule number five, the will of God rule. 1 John chapter 5 verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. We all know that faith begins where the will of God is known. If the will of God is in doubt concerning a need, it is impossible to pray the prayer of faith until we find scripture that covers the need. Too many Christians present their prayers to God too quickly without doing a little research in the Bible. We need to find promises in God's word that cover the need we have. Next, does the Bible instruct us to ask God for it or to just claim it as a promise already provided? James 1.5 tells us to ask God for wisdom and Hebrews 4.16 tells us to come to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace. Many times we'll find that whatever we need, the Bible tells us that Jesus has already provided it for us. Therefore, all we need to do is simply apply it in our lives through faith, personalizing the promise by confessing it over our lives. Other times, we need to use the authority in the name of Jesus and put the devil under our feet. Through the Word and the Spirit of God, we can find the appropriate course of action to take in order to deal with the issue at hand. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study the Word of God. Hosea 4.6 states, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. The simple truth is, what we don't know, we can't experience, even when it is part of our inheritance. We must be diligent to find out through the Word of God who we are, what we have, and how we are to live in Jesus Christ. Rule number six, the right motive. James chapter four, verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. God wants to bless his children with good things, 1 Timothy 6.17. But if our motive is to compete and compare ourselves with others, those covetous, greedy prayers will not be answered. The promises of God are activated by our faith in God's word. Faith comes from the heart, and faith works by love. If our heart is not right, then no matter how pretty our words may sound, they will just drop to the ground as dead seed. Rule number seven, the law of the harvest. The seed is the word of God. According to Jesus in the parable of the sower, Luke 8.11, now I'd like to discuss how the seed gets into our heart and how it grows there in order to produce a harvest. The law of seed time and harvest goes back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 11 and chapter 8 verse 20. 
God's natural and spiritual creations operate on these eternal laws. Here is something that we should never forget. Words are seeds, but God's word is incorruptible seed, according to 1 Peter 1.23. There is a big difference between the two. Sometimes people think it's going to happen just because they say it. Saying it is involved in planting it. The problem has been that people say a few things, they plant a few seeds, and then go off and leave them. We must care for that seed, because it takes time for things to manifest. When we preach the gospel, we are sowing seeds. We're speaking words. In this case, gospel words. When we speak words, we are sowing seeds. If we don't like the harvest we have been receiving, then we had better check up on the seed that we've been sowing. We could be sowing weeds, idle words. What we are today is a product of the words we spoke yesterday. What we say is what we will eventually get. Because if we keep saying it, we will eventually believe it in our heart. The things that we believe in our heart will come to pass in time. God made our spirit to produce whatever, indiscriminately, we plant in there. If I don't like the harvest, all I have to do is check up on the seeds, the words that I've been sowing or speaking. Remember, it's not going to happen just because we say it once. Generally speaking, we have to say it over and over again. That's what it means to meditate on the word or to speak the word day and night. We must say it over a period of time for it to really be planted in the soil of our heart. The following scriptures cover the principles of faith that moves mountains. None of the circumstances that are spoken to will appear to have changed, but in time they will if we hold fast to our confession of faith, Hebrews 4.4 and 10.23. Jesus said they would obey our faith-filled words. Our faith-filled words are the seeds that will move the mountains out of our life. The sowing is in the saying. Mark 4.14 Jesus said the farmer sows the word. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. God's word is sowed in our hearts when we speak it through meditating on the promises of God. The seed contains the spirit life of God, John 6.63. Yet, until it is sowed into our spirit, it does not produce anything. Unless a farmer plants the seed, he can't expect a harvest. The act of sowing or planting is a prerequisite for any kind of a harvest. The same is true for the believer. The harvest or manifestation of the promise comes after the word of promise has been sowed into our heart. Then God causes it to grow, and the harvest comes in a process of time. Proverbs 24 A sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest time he looks, but finds nothing. Proverbs 18.20 From the fruit of his mouth a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips he is satisfied. Isaiah 61.11 For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. When a seed comes in contact with the soil and water, the seed germinates. The creative life within that seed is released. God's word is incorruptible seed, and the life within that seed is God's grace, his power and life at work in us who believe. Water is a type of the Holy Spirit, John 4.10 and 7.37. He acts as a catalyst to the word, releasing the grace of God within it in order to produce the life of God that results in a harvest of blessing and provision for our lives. In the natural, the soil will not argue with the farmer and produce something contrary to what is planted. For example, if we were to plant wheat, but the soil decides to produce corn, 
Some people have gotten the idea that it does not matter what kind of seed they sow, and it does not matter what they say. People will often say, well, God knows what I meant. Maybe so, but the issue is in your heart, is it not? It's programmed by God to produce whatever we sow in it, our words, good or evil, seeds or weeds. The soil of our heart does not decide whether the words that we plant or say are right or wrong. It will simply produce a harvest according to the type of seed we have planted there. Some people in an attempt to be honest will share with others how they feel. Even when they pray, they pray the problem instead of reminding God of the promise. Isaiah 43:46. Thus they put a death sentence over themselves with their words. Proverbs 21:23. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. A believer can have faith in God through the word of God or faith in the devil by believing the words of the devil. Let's be consistent and work faith on the positive side. We exalt God when we proclaim his word above the circumstances of life. We exalt the devil when we yield to the circumstances of life and speak defeat, worry, and fear. Just read Job 3.25 to see what I mean. If we live by God's words, we would certainly die by embracing the devil's words. Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew 4.4 point that out. Remember, we have said that words are seeds, but God's word is incorruptible seed. The devil understands these principles, and he uses them to accomplish his purpose in people's lives. He will use whoever will yield to him to plant seeds, speak words of doubt, fear, and failure into people. If people hear that long enough, that seed will get into their hearts, and they will believe and receive a harvest of evil in their lives. As believers, we have the right through Jesus Christ to sow God's word in our lives and into the lives of others in order to produce a harvest of righteousness and blessing for God's glory. A good example of this is the story about Sennacherib threatening Jerusalem in Isaiah chapter 36 and the story of the Israelites at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. These are vivid examples of seeds that the devil planted in folks' lives in order to destroy them. Matthew chapter 13, verse 37 to 42. The human heart is God's production center. Just think of it. We may not know how the kingdom of God operates to produce a harvest, but if we just know and work the principles, we can receive God's provision for our life. I may not know how a brown cow eating green grass can produce white milk, but I can still drink it and receive the benefits from it. The good news over time is as God gives us more understanding of the particular workings of these spiritual laws, we will be able to operate them more fully in our life. Praise the Lord. So the process of growth is really illustrated by the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 4, verse 26. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. We can't rush the harvest from the confession of our faith. Let's look at the process of the growing seed. First the person scatters the seed. The seed of God's word is sown by speaking it. The seed sprouts and grows. First the stalk, then the head. This process of growth is watered through thanksgiving and praise to God. Then the full kernel in the head. When the grain becomes ripe, harvest time, reaped through prayer and being led by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians one twenty. 
for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here Jesus is drawing a parallel between the natural process of seed time and harvest that operates in the natural world and the spiritual process of seed time and harvest that operates in the spiritual world. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a simile or a comparison. The simple truth is, as believers, if we do not learn to operate in this spiritual law, we are in a world of hurt. God's will is to teach us how to fish and not make us dependent upon spiritual handouts. This law works whether we know all the little details or not, though he does not know how, Jesus said. If we will just work the word, the word will work for us. If it is not working, then we're not working the word according to directions. The person just sowed the seed and the soil took care of everything else. While we are asleep, this principle is working. Our spirit never sleeps and is producing the substance for the things we hope for. 1 Corinthians 3.6 I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and God's building. Paul planted the seed by preaching the gospel and thus planting the seed. Apollos watered it. Apollos was a teacher and taught that same word that Paul had preached, and God made it grow. God is the one that causes his word to grow and produce fruit. John chapter 15. What a rest, no manipulation, striving, and straining required. Just sow the seed, water it with praise and thanksgiving for what the word is doing. The word is working mightily in me, and God will make it grow. Now there are some other elements that will determine the fruitfulness of our harvest, whether it's 30, 60, or 100 fold, like walking in love, holiness, and integrity of heart. When the word of God is spoken, faith is released through the air. The same creative force of God that the Father spoke in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth. This word which is spoken comes to the ears of the hearer. At this point, a decision is made to accept or reject it. The human will is the door to the human heart. Upon accepting the word, it penetrates the human spirit and germinates in the soil of his or her heart. Ezekiel chapter 17 verse 5. Everything that we receive from God enters first into the human spirit where it is conceived by faith. It's in the womb of the human spirit where the seed is conceived and produces spirit life. This is the reception center of everything we receive from God. Faith in the heart gives the human spirit the ability to conceive what God has promised in his word. It won't happen until it is conceived, just as a child is conceived in his or her mother's womb. Then after conception, eventually there will be a manifestation a harvest, or birth. Many times, we must say things over and over again before we really believe them. This is called Bible meditation. Faith comes by hearing the word, not by having heard it just a few times. The point is, what we say is what we sow. But it won't happen just because we say it once. It won't happen just because we say it a hundred times. Hearing the word causes faith to come. It's different for each of us how long it takes. Saying is involved in working the principle. It is conceived when we believe and doubt not in our heart. The kingdom of God is within us, according to Luke 17.20, and has been sown with the seed we have been speaking. When our spirit conceives the promise we spoke, it will work night and day to produce and bring it to pass. 
The soil, the heart of the spirit of a person, is designed by God to produce what is sown in it, whether it's good or bad. It is the seed that determines the type of harvest, not the soil. We are the ones who control the kind of seed that we sow into our hearts. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 through 10. Now the key here is don't dig up your seed. We have seen that seeds are words, and the soil is the human spirit or heart. However, what instrument do we use to sow the seed in the first place? Our tongue. The tongue has the potential to sow God's word for a harvest of blessing, but it can also dig it up and sow weeds that will produce a curse. In Genesis, after the fall of man, Adam caused certain curses to befall him and this earth. One of those curses was the introduction of weeds, which I believe is a type of evil words, the capacity to speak good and evil. Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Until the fall, I believe that Adam only used his tongue for life, for speaking life words. When Adam sold out to Satan and committed high treason, man received Satan's sinful nature in his spirit, and with that, the ability to speak death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil also refers to the ability to speak life and death with our tongues, Deuteronomy 30.19. When we speak God's word one moment and then speak doubt and fear, the devil's words, the next moment, we have just dug up our seed. James 1 verse 6, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Faith in the heart gives it the ability to conceive God's promise. Once it is conceived, we will eventually have a manifestation of that promise. But it takes time. It is a process. As I've been saying, this is not a fad. This is a way of life. This is not something we try, because this is how the kingdom of God operates. If we are just going to try it, it won't work for us. We must have the attitude. God said it. I believe it, and that settles it. As for me and my house, we're going to believe God's word. Remember, we will not attain water-walking faith overnight. Just because we are tired of taking that medicine that keeps us alive is no reason to say, well, bless God, today I'm going to start living by faith. We will more likely die by faith if we have not developed it and have received a full manifestation of healing in our body. Let's just keep taking that medicine and believing God at the same time until we don't have to take it anymore. Luke 8.15 But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. After sowing the healing word of God in our spirit, we believe it is growing before we see it grow. That faith in God's word is our evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 In Christ we have perfect evidence for faith. Any man or woman can get rid of all their doubts by looking steadfastly and only at the evidence which God has given for our faith. Seeing only what God says will produce an increased faith. This will make it easier to believe than to doubt. For the evidences for faith are so much stronger than those for doubting. Don't doubt your faith. Doubt your doubts, for they are unreliable. So understanding that there are all kinds of prayers that the Bible speaks of, is crucial to appropriating God's healing virtue in our lives. Imagine if a carpenter was to use a hammer for everything. A hammer works great with nails, but is ineffective in sawing wood. Likewise, we need to be strategic in using the right prayer for healing. Since healing is part of our redemption, 
that Jesus paid for through his death, burial, and resurrection. The prayer of faith, claiming what is already ours in Jesus, would be the correct prayer. Not the prayer of petition, asking for something that already belongs to us. Having an effective prayer life is governed by the law of love and learning to control our tongue by choosing to speak life and God's word over what our five senses are telling us. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life study series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.